Section 32 of My Strange Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Scott, Cheltenham, England. My Strange Rescue by James MacDonald Oxley. The Boar of Minas Basin. Upon the side of one of the rounded hills that rise up gently from the wonderful sea of verdure which Longfellow, without ever looking upon it for himself, immortalised in his Evangeline, Acacia Villa nestled cosily in the midst of many trees. Long lines of poplars stood sentinel-like up and down the house-front, and marked out the garden boundaries, furnishing abundant supplies of peppers for the boys in springtime and better still a whole regiment of apple and pear trees marshalled itself at the back filling the hearts and mouths of both young and old with delight in the autumn when the boughs bent so temptingly beneath their burden of fruitage there could hardly be a more attractive location for a boarding school and seeing what comfortable quarters mr thompson provided and how thoroughly he understood the business of teaching it was no wonder that boys came not only from all parts of nova scotia and new brunswick but even from the united states to be grounded in classics mathematics and literature under his direction the last boarder left acacia villa long ago but twenty years back its dormitories were filled to their utmost capacity with lads of all ages and sizes and the whole neighbourhood felt the stirring influence of two score lively hearty noisy boys in their midst for nearly ten months out of the year the school was like a hive of bees in honey time the term beginning in september and finishing in june it was coming on toward midsummer now and excitement ran high throughout the school for while the drones were looking forward longingly to the holidays which would release them from all horrid lesson learning for a couple of months the workers were even more eagerly expecting the final examinations when books bats balls knives and other things dear to the schoolboy's heart were offered by wise mr thompson to the boys who came out ahead in the different branches of study the two boys strolling down toward the river this fine summer afternoon were good representatives of the two classes frank hamilton being one of the brightest and most ambitious as tom peters or bunty in the saucy slang of his schoolmates was one of the dullest and least aspiring in the school yet somehow or other they had been great chums ever since they came by the same coach to the villa two years before one could easily understand that lazy good-natured bunty should find much to admire and love in handsome manly clever frank who was indeed a born leader but just what frank found in tom to make him so fond of him puzzled everybody from mr thompson down in whatever lay the secret the fact was clear that the boys loved each other like brothers and the master who delighted in classical allusions used to greet them as damon and pythias when he encountered them together they were discussing the approaching examinations and speculating as to the prizes mr thompson would offer this year no apples for me on that tree said tom adding with rather a rueful smile if mr thompson would only offer a prize for the most lickings and impositions i guess i'd run the best chance for it never mind old boy said frank consolingly you weren't cut out for a scholar that's clear but you'll come out all right at something else and perhaps make a bigger name than even yankee himself 
although it wouldn't do to let him hear you say so i'm afraid i'd have a poor sight to beat yankee at anything answered tom but say frank how do you feel about giving him a go-by for the star prize it'd break my heart if you didn't come out first well to tell the truth bunty i don't feel any too cocky about it yankee's a tough customer to beat replied frank but hush he's coming right behind us must be going down to the river too though it's more like him to stick in his room and grind and as a tall slight dark-faced lad of about sixteen went past them without exchange of greetings the two friends stopped talking and went on in silence yankee was the nickname given to one of the american boys at the school he had been thus distinguished because both in face and figure he bore some resemblance to the typical uncle sam being longer leaner and sallower than any of his companions he was of a quiet reserved disposition and had few friends indeed he did not seem to desire many but kept very much to himself so that a lot of the boys disliked him yet on the other hand others respected although they might not love him for not only did he divide with frank hamilton whom they all worshipped the highest honours in scholarship but once when scarlet fever broke out and seized upon six of the smallest boys before they could escape to their homes yankee or to give him his proper name emery haynes although he had never had the fever himself stayed with mr thompson through many anxious weeks and watched night after night by the sufferer's bedsides showing such tact and devotion as a nurse that the doctor said at least two of the boys would never have been saved from death had it not been for his help walking with a rapid almost impatient step that was characteristic of him emery haynes passed the two friends all three directing their course towards the gasperio river which cuts a wide red gash through the grand prey before adding its turbid torrent to the tossing waters of minas basin if yankee beats me for the star prize it will be the biggest disappointment of my life continued frank it's not every day that a fellow can get hold of five pounds in bright big gold pieces and father has promised if i win it to chip in as much more and buy me a splendid boat oh frank you're sure to get it yankee works like a slave to be sure but he hasn't half as good a head on him answered tom confidently i'm not by any means certain of that tom just see how easily he gets through his mathematics he's sure to beat me on that and i'll have to make up for it by beating him in classics anyhow it is no use worrying about it now let's hurry up and have a dip so dropping the subject the two boys ran off at a rate that soon brought them to the river bank here a lovely picture awaited them from their feet the red banks of clay and sand stretched hundreds of yards away for the tide was out until they were lapped by the river now shrunk into a narrow sluggish stream to right and left and beyond the river the wide level marshlands redeemed from the water by the patient toil of the acadians were waist-deep in verdure that swayed in long lines of light and shadow before the summer breeze not far off began the great dikes that sweep clear round the outer edge of the grand prey the only elevation on all that vast plain and now waving to their summits with dusty blossomed grass behind them the hills rose gently in fold upon fold their broad shoulders flecked with frequent patches of golden grain or the dark foliage of the orchards while over all rose a glorious summer sun that seemed to thrill the whole landscape with life and warmth and glory but the boys had no eyes for all this beauty 
they were far more concerned about the tide and felt inclined to resent very warmly the fact that it should be out just when they wanted to have a swim what a fraud exclaimed frank upon my word i believe the old tide is twice as much out as it is in now isn't it bunty it is sure as you're born assented tom there's nothing for it i suppose but to wait and so saying he threw himself down in the long grass his friend immediately following his example twenty yards away emery haynes was already seated with his face turned riverward apparently lost in deep thought wonder what yankee's thinking about remarked tom puzzling out some of those confounded problems he does so easily perhaps he added feelingly for he had had some humiliating experiences of his own inability to get over the pons asinorum safely or to explain why a was equal to x under certain perplexing circumstances more probably planning what he'll do with that five pounds said frank half petulantly i guess it's more likely to go into books than into a boat if he gets hold of it but he isn't going to get hold of it objected tom and then without giving frank a chance to reply he burst out oh i say frank suppose instead of waiting here we go down to meet the boar and have a race back with it frank hesitated a moment before answering for what tom proposed was a very rash thing to do what is known as the boar is the big wave produced by the onrush of water in a place where the tides rise forty fifty or even sixty feet according to the time of year the bay of fundy of which minas basin is a branch is famous for these wonderful tides and the movements of the water make a sight well worth watching the two boys had often looked on with lively interest as the returning flood rushed eagerly up the channel and over the flats until in an incredibly short time what had been a waste of red mud was transformed into a broad expanse of turbid water rather a risky business tom but i don't mind trying it i'm in the humour for almost anything today so come along and without more ado the boys doffed their boots and stockings rolled up their trousers and set out for the water's edge emery haynes watched them in silence until they had gone about fifty yards then as if divining their foolish design he called after them frank tom where are you going to going to meet the boar don't you want to come frank shouted back come along yankee if you're not afraid he added in a half scornful tone not the words but the tone in which they were uttered brought an angry flush out on emery's sallow cheeks and without stopping to think of the folly of the thing he too flung off his boots and started after the others blessed if yankee isn't coming after all said tom under his breath to frank the chap's got plenty of grit in him side by side but in silence for somehow or other they felt ill at ease the three boys picked their way carefully over the slippery mud and soft sand keeping a sharp lookout for the sinkholes or quicksands in which they might easily sink to their waists or even deeper at one plunge hardly had they reached the edge of the channel when frank who had been gazing down intently toward the basin called out there it comes fellows doesn't it look grand a good way off still but drawing nearer with astonishing speed a wall of dark foam-topped water came rushing up the channel and over the thirsty flats it was several feet in height and behind it followed the whole vast volume of the tide the three lads had never been so close to the boar before and they stood still and silent watching the grand sight until a shout from emery broke the spell now then boys let's run for it as fast as their feet could carry them they sped over the treacherous greasy flats leaping the gaping gullies turning aside from the suspicious spots 
and steering straight for the place where they had left their shoes. Frank and Tom were both famous runners and soon outstripped Emery. In fact, they were more than halfway to the bank when a sharp cry of alarm made them stop and turn to see what was the matter. One glance was enough to tell them. Twenty yards behind, they saw their companion embedded nearly to the waist in a quicksand from which he was madly struggling to extricate himself, while his efforts seemed only to sink him the deeper. His situation was one of extreme peril. The boar had somewhat spent its force, but still advanced steadily. Unless Emery was rescued without delay, he would be buried beneath its pitiless flood. For one brief instant, Frank hesitated, and Tom, as usual, waited for him to lead. Thoughts of the personal risk, the small chance of succeeding, and even, though ever after, the mere recollection of it made his cheek burn with shame, of the advantage it would be to have his rival out of the way, throbbed through his brain. But it was only for an instant, and then with a shout of, Keep cool, Yankee, we're coming, he grasped Tom's arm, and together they sprang to the rescue. Running with all their might, they reached their imperiled schoolmate just a second before the boar did, and standing on either side of the treacherous spot, were able to each seize a hand, and with one tremendous effort, draw him out of its deadly embrace, ere the great wave came sweeping down upon them, tumbling them over like ninepins into the midst of its muddy surges. Fortunately, however, all three were good swimmers, and they had only to allow the water to work its will with them for after a little tossing about it landed them safely on a sandbank whence they could easily wade ashore emery did not say much to his rescuers it was not his way but no one could mistake the depth of feeling expressed in the few words frank you've saved my life and i'll never forget it two weeks later the examinations came off and amid the applause of the school frank hamilton was declared winner of the star prize emery haynes being only just a few points behind him mr thompson was very well pleased at the result but there was one thing that puzzled him a good deal emery who was by far the best mathematical scholar in the school had somehow or other done by no means so well in that branch as usual in fact he had actually left several not over difficult questions altogether unanswered and this more than anything else had lost him the prize Mr. Thompson mentioned the matter to Frank Hamilton, at the same time expressing his surprise. I'm not surprised, said Frank, as something that looked very like tears welled up in his eyes. When I saved Yankee's life, he said he'd never forget it. That's how he kept his word. Mr. Thompson needed no further explanation. End of section 32